Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, taking a look at Psalm 142 today. This one, uh, I know we were just in the book of uh, 1 Samuel, and so you might be thinking, hang on a second, why are we doing this? Well, this one is a masquil of David when he was in the cave, it says. And that's not the little uh, sub, uh, superscript or uh, subtitle that they put there in the ESV or the NIV. That's the one that's actually like, in the Greek or the Hebrew. And so this is one that is specifically being linked to the, uh, well, actually I should want to talk about that today, uh, the, the occasion of David hiding from Saul in the cave. Well, was it the first time? like we just read last week, uh, or, or the second time, uh, or another time after that. So uh, we'll have some fun kind of lining this up, but also just, uh, you know, this is a really cool psalm that I think is going to sound familiar um, on some different parts to a lot of you guys. So it'll be cool just to kind of see how that links up with the way that, you know, when, when we look at this psalm and uh, find the different ways that we feel like we can relate to it, just a short little psalm here. Uh, when we're feeling trapped, uh, when we're feeling like we have no one else to turn to, how uh, actually, yeah, we can relate to David pretty well, too. Joining us today, our guest, we've got Pastor Kevin Parviz, pastor of Congregation Chayva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri, there in Dogtown. Good morning, brother. Good to have you back. It's been a little, uh, been a minute here. So how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? You know, I'm doing okay, by God's grace. Yeah. So. Yeah, we, uh, uh, yeah, it's been a while. I've missed a couple of months there with you. Yeah. How, how's, uh, how, how are you guys all doing there? How's, how's the congregation there in Dogtown? How's the fam? Uh, everybody's doing well. The congregation is uh, struggling with tech issues. We never dreamed this would be going on this long, and yeah. we've got to do something else because whatever we're doing is not, do, is not being very effective for ministering to our people. But we'll figure that out. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely, I, I think that that sentiment there um, is, is going on far longer than anyone thought. Yeah, I think that's about, that's about accurate for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess we're, you know, if I had dreamed it would go this long, I would have spent some money up front. Now we're going to have to spend some money just to, and then, and, you know, as soon as we spend the money on the tech, then it'll, it'll be over, God willing. So, uh, but yeah. it, 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 this is still a good time to, to learn how to get out of our Luddite caves and, and take advantage of technology. So that's all right. Well, yeah, no, that's right. This is actually like a pretty good, uh, you know, uh, shut down social distancing psalm, right? Like <laughs> just the, yeah, really, the, the, feel, the yeah. feeling of being uh, trapped or, or cut off, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah, what, Psalm 142. Um, is this one and that you— Go ahead. I'm just constantly amazed that people still who trapped in their cave are still resistant to technology to try to have some connection to the church and to the outside world. It just kind of blows me away. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is it is interesting. Well, we talked about this last time, I guess, right? That the uh, the only difference between a, a prison and a and a castle is what side of the bars you want to be on, right? So. There, there is something yeah. to that where something that starts off as a prison ends up becoming uh, comfortable in a certain way. I'm reminded of Gollum, actually, you know, so just to make another, you know, like a uh, fantasy genre reference. Uh, you know, he, he goes into the caves to, like, you know, escape people um, and yeah. they become like a home for him. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting how that happens. Uh, but 
Psalm one forty two. This is a. Uh, well, I don't know. Is it is this one that you find yourself uh, feeling pretty familiar with, or is it is it one that you you find that you don't uh, come to this one as often? I mean, it's a, it's. I mean, I'm not one who. Uh, I guess maybe I've just had a really blessed life. I've never had personal. I mean, everybody has their troubles, but I'm not one who has who has kind of felt like I was in a cave crying out to God. I mean, there have been occasions, but yeah. not very often, praise God. Uh, and and this is a psalm, I mean, really, um, I'm, I'm reminded of Jack Kerouac, as I was a big beat poet fan in college, and that was one of my <laughs> specialists. And, uh, you know, he coined the phrase, I'm at the bottom of my soul looking up. And that, you know, it's like the feeling of being in a well, and, and you see the sky, but you can't reach it. Um that's kind yeah. of where David is, I think, here. And, and David does tend toward, uh, the, and, and it's, it's a wonderful relationship he has with God, that when he is at the bottom of his soul looking up, he sees God. And, uh, um, and, and, and maybe I could be persecuted more so that I could have that relationship a little stronger, uh, God forbid. But uh, needless to say, I do. I do kind of resonate. My wife would say I, I resonate with this psalm because she hears me clutch at home. But um, <laughs> you know well, how wise uh, I don't. I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say I, I think the connection that you just made, though, like like being at the bottom of a well. I mean, that's of course a pretty interesting, um, it, you know, motif in scripture. Like we're thinking about Joseph, and then. Just the yeah. idea of being like stuck in a cave that uh, that becomes a much bigger pattern, whether that's uh, you know a literal cave or figuratively something, just a situation like Jonah, or of course then we're thinking about uh, a resurrection idea. So perhaps there are some yeah. ways that we that we really can uh, relate this to just the the Christian life in general. But well, uh, before we go ahead, go ahead. I was, was going to say, actually, before we go like too far into it, um, maybe maybe if you would, if you could just open this up with a prayer. Uh, oh, you we'll... bet. Yeah. Thanks. Abba Father, we thank and praise you for this new day, and I do thank you for this technology that allows us to gather together, even uh, from great distances, of Missouri and uh, Kirkwood and St. Louis and California. Lord, thank you, and all the homes and computers that are linking in today. Lord, we ask you to bless each and every person who is uh, in this technological connection. Father, that those who feel like they're in their caves seeking your will, Father, seeking your faith, that you would show them today, even through your word today, as David cries out to God uh, and, and we cry out to God. Father, we cry out to you, and we ask you uh, to show us your faith anew and give us blessing. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, well, so I think uh, right when I was asking if you would if you would uh, say a prayer for us, um, I think you were uh, about to say something. Did you, did you have like any other kind of introductory thoughts um, or kind of context stuff for us before we go ahead and give this a read through? I probably did, but this life is gone. <laughs> I, I get that's that. The, I get... the joy of growing old, you know, you just forget five seconds ago. 
<laughs> it's totally fine. It's totally fine. Well, let, let's just go ahead. I'm sure it'll come back to you. Let's, we'll go ahead and just read it through. Um, and then we can, we can get back into looking at the superscription. And, uh, we, I mean, we, we looked at, uh, Psalm 57 just a couple of weeks ago. So, I mean, so yeah, so we've got, we've kind of got a lot of interesting context to consider. So besides having, um, just read, uh, first Samuel 24 with, um, David and his men hiding in the cave and, and then Saul taking a step into the cave uh and and so we've got that in the context but we also have got psalm 57 so it'll, it'll be interesting to kind of compare uh this psalm with uh some of that too but let's just go ahead and read it first so, you, so here's do you connect so, this, i'm sorry do you connect this to first samuel 24 more than 22 well so yeah so we'll want to we'll want to talk about that like which 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 cave incidents or you know like you know a b or C perhaps so it doesn't matter right yeah. yeah well yeah so uh so let's go ahead and give it a read through here psalm 142 in the english standard version a masquil of david when he was in the cave a prayer with my voice i cry out to the lord with my voice i plead for mercy to the lord i pour out my complaint before him i tell my trouble before him when my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my prosecutor, persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. So, I, I think the the thing you know, so mentioning Psalm fifty seven, um, it, it, this one just feels well. They, they both are called uh, a mikdam, um, and we talked like a little bit about maybe what's going on there um but we can maybe talk about that more here too uh it just feels really different from psalm 57 uh i mean it's it's shorter than psalm 57 but also like i, I think that like psalm 57 i don't know i mean there's there's different there's different verses or stanzas to it and it, it just seems like there's a little bit more of uh, the the hope or the prayer already being answered or or that answer being anticipated, right? Like you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Um, you know, the stuff like, you know, I will awake the dawn, you know, awake my glory, awake, oh, harp and lyre. Um, and, and so, you know, you've kind of, it, it seems like you've kind of at least got one foot kind of on the other side of it. Uh, but here in 142, it's it's all, I mean, maybe there's like a, a, a little bit of that towards the end, but it feels just very much like he's very much still, in the darkness of the cave, maybe doesn't even know like where, where, or if there is light at the end of the tunnel here. Uh, like you were saying, this is like where he's still very much at the bottom of it. It would seem, I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I, and I, uh, that's why I, I like, and, and I, I don't know if these 57 and 142 are two separate events or if they're two separate times within the same event, but 142, which is why I always, at least when I read it, I always link it to 1 Samuel 22, 
Yeah. Because at the beginning of that time, he is absolutely alone. He has fled alone. Now, within a very couple of verses, all these people come to him. But initially in that cave, he's by himself. And I get the sense in 142 that when he says especially um, there's no one on my right, uh, there's no one who takes notice of me. I mean, he's not in the cave with his men, I don't think yet. Um, mm. I think he is just truly feeling alone here. Um, and that, that's sort of the scenario of First Samuel 22, when he initially flees and runs to the cave at Adilam, and then, uh, then people come and gather to him, and then he becomes, quote, their captain. Um, so I, I really do think that, and, and in many ways, if this is not, and I didn't, I should have probably done that. I didn't look at the lectionary, but in many ways, if this is not the lectionary psalm for Good Friday, um, it should be, because mm. our Lord is totally alone, and He is uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, the despair that He cries out in on the cross in the separation, the first first time in in all of time, but he has felt forsaken. Um, yeah. uh, this, this is a good, and I think that was what I was going to say earlier, is that this, this is a, probably when I think of this psalm more often than not, it's on Good Friday. Well, yeah, no, and, and I think you can certainly draw a pretty strong connection. Well, I mean, just like we were saying earlier, too, I mean, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, um, well, I mean, perhaps even in, in some ways, like uh, Holy Saturday, um, you know, let, so in terms of, it's interesting, you mentioned the lectionary. I mean, it, this is something that's used in the lectionary, um, only infrequently though, at least as it currently is used, it's like, uh, the fourth Sunday in Lent every three years, if we're on the three year. So it, it doesn't come up as often. And I, and I, um, I mean, your suggestion about Good Friday, it's, I mean, yeah, I, th I think that totally lines up. But um, I think the reason why we wouldn't have that is because, like, Good Friday is always, you know, we Psalm 31. So, I mean, right. like it's, yeah. it's, it's such a, a strong connection. It's just like, you know, it's always going to happen. But, yeah, no, it is, it's kind of a shame almost that we, we don't have more of these Psalms that really uh, could uh, link up to that in a lot of different ways. Um and yeah, just the idea of the lo the loneliness, how much how pronounced this is, it's um, yeah. But it, it does raise a few questions for me too, just like how we link this up to First Samuel, like you were saying. Yeah, and I think one of the frustrations that um, that readers have of the Psalms is that they're by no means chronological. Uh, and so, you know, I, I was listening to an, an interview this morning of Jerry Seinfeld, and he just wrote a book and it's the book basically is 45 years of jokes that he's never published, right. That he's written down and kept on scraps of paper and things like that. And yeah. he said he spent a lot of time trying to arrange them in some kind of uh, order where they <laughs> flowed and, and whoever put together the, 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 the Psalms is, is, you know, struggling with that order. If you ask me, it'd be so, I mean, I, I, one of our Bible studies that we're getting ready to do in a small group I'm leading is uh, is going to be a kind of chronological approach to the Psalms through through Kings, um, sort of to get a sense of how these things line up. But mm. uh, it is, I think people see 142, it's late in the Psalter, 
um, it's not before Psalm 51. You know, this is, these are events that occur prior. And so it's just, yeah. uh, it's kind of frustrating for some. Well, yeah. And, um, well, I mean, so, so speaking of kind of like, you know, arrangement or, um, or context here, you can see why it, it could make some sense here at the end. I mean, you, you look at Psalm 142 before it, or I'm sorry, 141 before it, um, and it's you know, another Psalm of David, you know, O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me, give ear to my voice when I call to you. Um, and, and, and then Psalm 143 after it, very similar, another Psalm of David, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. So, I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, like, it's just, well, yeah, and, and, and it's like the the superscription and then kind of like the first verse, they're, they're kind of very similar to each other. And so it's just kind of like, yeah, I, I think in some ways, maybe this is just kind of the, the thematic thing where it's like, you know, Psalm 57 was like, okay, we're going to put that there because this is like, you know, the, the, the scene where David's in the cave and then over here at the end, it's like, oh, we have another one. Well, let's just put yeah. it in with the other. <laughs> uh, David's calling out Psalms, you know. So, so these are not the B sides to the forty fives. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you kind of you kind of wonder about. I mean, like it's it's hard to it's hard it's hard to say. Well, and and then like I think another thing too is is uh, there's the context, and we've talked about this before with the Psalms. There's the context of when they were composed, and then there was the context of kind of like w- how they became prominently used right and we and we know that in the in the in the later psalms there's some really strong connections with like post-exilic stuff and so you wonder if 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 there's something there too yeah and we get the sense and i think that's a mistaken sense uh that 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 david wrote this while he was in the cave right (laughs) And, you know, the, the, the challenge, of course, is that, you know, whether you know, or whether he's emoting a time afterward where he remembers how forlorn he was and trying to communicate that. So that's all. All of that is part and parcel of the challenge of the Psalms. Yeah, uh, of course, that would that would give a lot of uh, that, that would that would in some ways just be be too good um, for lining up with the meaning of uh of uh, miktam, right? Like the, which, which seems right. to have some relation to inscription perhaps. Right. But <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's like, well, yeah, cause it's just, you know, on the, on the cave wall, you know, but, but, yeah. uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, these but, are written with musical intent. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so right. And no, I, I agree. I mean, like, so probably not necessarily like that, but, um, just, it is interesting to think of that though, if this did come, to be associated with that kind of post-exilic time, especially, you know, just as, just like, like towards like the last, um, like the last, like, you know, dozen or so chapters of like Isaiah or something like that, where there's just this call that's just, you know, we feel like we've been abandoned. Why isn't God accept our sacrifices or hear our prayers anymore? You could see how um, God's people could collectively sing this. And when, when we say in, in uh, verse one there, you know, like I cry out to the Lord or I plead for mercy to the Lord, how this is like all of Israel speaking together, feeling like they're alone in, in, in a sense, yeah. as they feel like they, they've been kind of surrounded by the nations of the world, and that's the cave. 
and, and in many ways, and, and these are used sort of liturgically in the worship life of the people. Um, and so one could say, you know, one could think that David is drawing on his experiences to give the people a liturgical experience of calling out to the Lord. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, no, that, that's right. Where we're taking these individual experiences that in just many ways to sort of encapsulate the, uh, yeah, I mean, just the whole kind of shape and pattern of this. I mean, which is like what we're doing, which is what we do in the church year, right? That, you know, mm-hmm. the, yeah. uh, for the season of Lent, right? You know, and, uh, you know, we have different things that we associate with that, whether that's, um, you know, like the Lord's temptation in the wilderness, right? Like, you know, 40 days. Uh, and, and we take those individual experiences, and those become kind of ways of then uh, helping to make sense of kind of a more abstract uh, sense of, you know, wilderness or, or sojournings in life. Or, you know, when you find that there's a season of life that's dry or full of temptation. And so having like a concrete story of an individual uh, can really help then to kind of, uh, you know, put those things together. I mean, like it reminds me at the beginning how you were saying like, well, I, you know, I've never been like in a cave, you know, uh, but, but you know, that perhaps that in some ways these Psalms like let us uh, kind of see Experience. maybe through some of the, the messiness of, of our, of our yeah. lives and kind of see some, some patterns. Yeah. And I always say this, and I have to say this very carefully, because I don't want anyone to think that I am making light of our worship rhythms, but the church is great theater. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, I mean, in our in our colors of the, you uh, know, our, our liturgical colors, mm-hmm. our liturgical rhythms, our hymns, I mean, that doesn't make them untrue. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the theater of, of our life of Christ in the Lord, but it is, it does appeal to all the senses. And, and, you know, so the rhythms of the church year, you know, always lead us to experiencing what perhaps Christ experienced during Holy Week. Um, And so, you know, it is, it's, that's the intent, if you will. I mean, as much as Lutherans can be death on, you know, Schwammerai, experience is important for people. Oh yeah, no. It's you. You have to have experience to to, to tie all this stuff together, um, and yeah. and and you can see how that. I mean, I mean, really, something like this. How you think about like the post-exilic situation, where you know, like maybe even our own times, we were like feeling that this is unprecedented, right? There's no language for this. Like, how do you even talk about this? Like, how how do you make sense of this? What are we supposed to do, right? We, you know, you were mentioning, you know, like. If I had known, you know, that this was going to go on this long, it would have gotten the, you know, so we've been like asking these sorts of questions, like, should we get this technology and should, how should we making these changes? And so when you're in stuff that feels just totally new and like, you don't even know how to, like, you don't even have categories for it, uh, it is so important then to find ways to draw on the experiences that we do have to kind of help, you know, just, just make sense of this stuff. And I think that you're, 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 uh, description of theater is uh is, is helpful like that and you, and you see that uh play out in like tvs and movies the way they're they're, they're shaped artistically how you you see it all the time how these stories of individuals are 
getting at big cultural things that are happening with society and uh yeah no no that that's uh that's key it's uh it's already time for our break but when we get back i hope we can uh make some more first samuel connections but everybody everyone hold on looking at some 142 today on thy strong word be right back This Monday, October 5th, 2020, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Scott and Diane Schmidt of Imperial, Missouri. Scott and Diane made a gift to KFUO Radio in loving memory of Diane's mother and my grandmother, Ida Dietz, who would have been 101 years old today. Everyone in my family is thankful to the Lord for the blessing that she was to our family. Thank you, Scott and Diane Schmidt, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO day sponsors. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Psalm 142 today. Uh, really great psalm for looking at 1 Samuel, particularly this stretch that we have been looking at just recently uh, in the early 20s, First, particularly 1 Samuel, say like 21 through 24 here. We're joined by our guest today, Pastor Kevin Parviz, pastor at Congregation Chayva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri, there in Dogtown. If you've got a question or comment for us, observation, maybe a connection of your own that you might have spotted, and you're listening live, give us a call, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, or get on the live stream, facebook.com slash Espinosa. I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org is their website, plural on missions. Thank you guys for supporting Thy Strong Word. All right, so uh, right before the break, we were, were kind of talking about this idea of how, you know, maybe, maybe this is even the same situation um, as Psalm 57, but it's just that the, how it became used and the way it was kind of uh, invoked as a psalm symbolically in the experience of God's people, you know, maybe maybe in that respect, that's what's really making them 
uh, different, you know, and so that that's it's kind of an interesting way of thinking about it. How, you know, for instance, we mentioned Lent before the break. How the forty day wilderness wandering, well, on the one hand, right, that's like the very first thing, right, in the Lord's ministry. Um, on the other hand, it really lines up nicely with uh, with Lent, which is the thing that we get right before <laughs> the very end with uh, Passion Week, Good Friday, Easter, right? So it's like, okay, maybe it's it's not necessarily the most tightly chronological thing there, but there's there's like a different there's a kind of like a different way of taking the forty day wilderness wandering, right? So I, I think there's maybe a couple things in here that there's maybe a common event, but different ways of applying it to ourselves. Right. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we're going to find ourselves in the bottom of our well, not chronologically. It's just going to happen on occasion. And that's when we draw on these kinds of, of Psalms. Well, let's take a look at some of the, the language here. Um, a little bit more detail. So, uh, so yeah, so Psalm 142, we've already commented on the superscription, a masculine of David when he was in the cave, very, very similar to what you have um, in Psalm 57. Though, uh, I, I guess one thing that is a little bit different, um, if I recall correctly, I'm trying to think if the word prayer was there, because that's kind of interesting here. Yeah, no, see, that's the difference. Because Psalm 57, right, to the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy. Um, so there, there's that stuff, because Psalm 57 in general seems to be kind of a little bit more uh, poetically or musically complex. Like you've got like your, you know, your uh, Selah and your uh, your tone mentioned here and things like this. Um, but but this is particularly called a prayer. Um, do, you, do you make any anything of that because i mean obviously all the psalms are prayers in a sense but i get the feeling that when uh especially in the hebrew when they put prayer in the superscription it's getting at something maybe a little bit more specific what do you think well i mean that i mean if you think about liturgy and and that's where i see the psalter it's sort of the liturgical hymn book of the old Testament peoples um, when you think about that, there are various things that do various functions in the liturgy. And and so we're in the Amidah right here, the standing prayers, which is the period of time where we're literally, we're not just singing about something, we're talking to God. And, you know, we can, we can sing in the first person about an event, uh, but not be prayerful about it. Now, ideally, we should always be in prayer, and St. Paul admonishes us to pray continually at all times. But, I mean, there is a different—I mean, so I I struggled with Paul's admonition because my concept of prayer was, as I was growing up, was very intentional, sort of davening before the the Lord and not being able to do anything else while I'm praying, right— uh, mm-hmm. But and so when I when I was challenged with Paul's prayer, pray continuously at all times. Um, how are you ever going to get anything else done? But <laughs> that prayer that Paul is talking about is a continual life 
of a back-and-forth relationship with God, not taking anything for granted. Uh, and, I, and in 57, maybe that kind of prayer, whereas this is more of an intentional davening prayer, if you will, before before God. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I, I like the idea of that, you know, kind of taking Paul as like saying, you know, be constantly, you know, in the life of prayer, right? Where um, I, I think this is something that we said before that that maybe instead of looking at life as like, you know, I've got real life and then I got this prayer thing, which is kind of like a, a, a TO yeah. from life that I kind of use to kind of help me. Uh, you know, I ask God to like help me with things going on in life, flipping it around and seeing life as prayer. And then the things that happen, the events in life are the things that help me know what to pray about and help me understand how God's answering that. I mean, I mean, so like, so flipping it around and really seeing like, uh, you know, when you say prayer life, like not thinking of that, like in terms of like, you know, work life, love life, et cetera, like where it's a compartment, but, but like, it's a, it's actually your life, uh, a kind of, you know, different kind of life. So, I mean, I, I like, I like that. Um, and I, and, and I think that the idea then of saying, well, but when it's talking about this kind of prayer, something more specific, I think that lines up with a lot of the work that's been done on the Psalms. Um, it's the observation of a lot of scholars that when when prayer like this comes up in one of the titles, it seems to be uh, usually like an individual lament of some kind. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think that that would really nicely fit the situation with David, where, uh, to your point um, about the loneliness as he's experiencing, like he, he's definitely feeling this uh, th- this isolation, right? The, like before he went on the run, you know, he's like, <laughs> people are literally singing, you know, singing his praises. Uh, you know, he's right. like the the son-in-law of the of the king. Uh, he's got a lot of stuff going on for him, and everybody loves him, right? Like, you know, First Samuel eighteen, right? Just everybody loves David, uh, yeah. and now that it just doesn't just doesn't feel that way anymore, not at all. Um, so, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, so then, so then I guess here, here's maybe the, uh, the, the, the question then. So, so you've got this, uh, in verse three then. So, I mean, verses one and two, we talked a little bit about that. There's a lot of similarities with other Psalms before and after here. Um, but so then he says, you know, you know, my way and the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Um, and then there's this, you know, no one takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. Okay, so what what do you think he is getting at in the context of First Samuel? In this you know this trap language, this uh, no one takes notice of me. Like what what's what's he getting at? Well, I mean, in many ways, we have to consider that David is just depressed, um, okay. and I think David does have those moments in his life, uh, often over his own behavior. But, uh, but the, and, you know, right now in our Sunday morning Bible study, we're looking at uh, Wednesday of Holy Week and this event where the people are watching on and all the Sadducees and priests are laying traps for Jesus. Mm. Uh, and the, the reality is that I think David here in First in Samuel 22 has come to faith the reality that Saul is not the guy that he thought he was going to be. Uh, You know, David spends his entire life dealing with Saul as being very respectful because he knows that Saul is the anointed one. 
uh, and and so he doesn't lay, he doesn't raise his hand to Saul. But but you know when even when we know that, and yet we find that this is a person who's seeking to kill me, uh, that can be very, that can draw us up really short. And uh, I think David is is right there at this at that moment. This is, it's like he has no illusions anymore. Yeah. Well, sir. Certainly, I mean it's it's a gigantic reversal for David, and yeah, you're. I mean, you're. This, this is good that you bra- raise this because you you got to consider. I mean, especially you know you mentioned in First Samuel twenty two how you know he's like trying to like you know be clandestine, and it's like mom and dad and like the whole village comes mm-hmm. out to like you know you know take care of him. So I mean, for someone who comes from uh, a small little town called Bethlehem, right? Where you know everybody knows your name, right? I mean that, and then and then this. I mean this is, yeah. I mean he, he's had his support system knocked out from underneath him in a in a crazy way. Um, he's he's he was recently hey, married and he doesn't have his wife anymore. I, I mean there's like all kinds. I mean he doesn't have his protector, Jonathan. I mean so I mean there's lots of ways in which uh, your your point about you know he's depressed, like perhaps like well I mean that's not like a stretch at all. It's hard to see kind of how he he wouldn't be in some ways. Yeah, and it is the juxtaposition of 18 to 21, 22 is so amazing because, again, and I have to draw upon this because of my current Bible study, but it's really hard not to take all of these things in the context of Holy Week. You know, Sunday is this day of of enormous popularity and emotion and all of that uh, as Jesus comes into the city. And by Wednesday— the people are just kind of looking on. It says they were they marveled at him because he taught with authority, or they were marveling at his teaching. But there's still there's the sense in these judgment in this in this kind of we're calling it the judgment text, um, where the world has took a step back from David and from Jesus, and now they're just watching to see if the traps are going to be sprung. Uh, and, you know, Jesus is, you know, David, unfortunately, does not have the wherewithal that Jesus has, being the Son of God. He's merely a, uh, the the cradle from which the Messiah would come. But, um, you know, the traps are being sprung on Jesus as well, uh, and he's pretty deft about that. But David is not so deft, and um, and so he's having to rely, you know, to, to think about those things. Well, and, and so thinking about like you know the, the 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 real life and not at all imagined traps that the Lord Himself was experiencing, um, you know, trying to just consider well, what what kind of like real life traps might David be talking about here? You know, and we and we look at First uh, Samuel. Well, we remember that before he goes to Gath, he sees Doeg, uh, and, and we and we later come to find that David already said to himself. Uh, you know, because this is how he talks to Abiathar, I think, how, how he says, yeah, you know, I know when I saw him, that wasn't good. Um, you know, and, and so it, it, on a certain level, you're thinking, okay, like, well, well, maybe he's, like, feeling like there's just spies everywhere, right? Um, and, and that's part of the reason why he had to get out of town and get get to, um, you know, Gath. Um, but on the other hand, I, I wonder, too, you know, uh, in— in, in uh, 1 Samuel 22, it's interesting that 
I mean, all this bad stuff happens. Um, and, and then like shortly after he finds out about, uh, Kyla being under attack, but by going out to Kyla, his position is given away and it puts him in a vulnerable spot now with Saul and the, and the people are going to give him up. So like, I, I wonder, so, so that, that's actually part of the thing that I'm like wondering about that makes me wonder about, you know, 22 or 24. It's like our situations, like first Samuel 23 feeling like traps for him. It's like, you know, I, I, I want to try to do the, do the right thing here, but in some ways it's like by Saul, not protecting his own people, it's like Saul's laying a trap cause it's like inviting me to go and save the day. And, but he's going to get me then. Yeah. And Saul, Saul is, you know, I mean, almost bipolar here and, and that Saul is, is, is on one hand, giving David the right hand of fellowship a lot of the, on the other hand, throwing a spear at him. I mean, it's like, yeah. I mean, if you never know where you're standing with people, everything becomes a trap. And even if it's not, it certainly feels that way. Well, no, I mean, no, that's true. I mean, in a lot of ways, just being um, in Saul's service, you know, at all and how, how it yeah, seems like, you know, again and again, Saul will say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, like, and, and we, and we saw that at the end of first Samuel chapter 24. Right. Um, yeah. and it seems sincere in 24, but I mean, in, in the end, it's just, you know, it, it's, uh, just kind of setting him up right for, right. uh, danger all over again. So I, I think that's, I think that's a fair point. Um, I want, I want to see maybe like what you think about like one other aspect here too. So, okay. So you've got this trap language, which, you know, kind of links to possibly a couple different things in the text. In verse three, it says, you know, you know, the path where I walk and, and, and maybe that you is just there because it's a subject change, right? It's the first time, um, that God's being made the, um, like the subject of, a of, a. Well, I'm trying not to be like just total nerd about this, but it's hard not to. Uh, the first time he's being made subject of an indicative clause, but <laughs> I'll yeah. think of a more normal person way to say that in a moment. Um, and, and, and then um, in verse four, you know, look to the right and, and see uh, there's no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. I, I wonder, is, is this kind of talking about like his just circuitous path of wandering, how it's just like he, he wants to go to Gath and to, that's not going to work. He wants to, you know, uh, be at no, but like, that's not. Gonna, I mean, it's like everywhere he goes, and you know, maybe I can stay in Kiila. No, they're going to give me up. Is that what verse four is getting at? Like how every place he goes is like another place that's just actually not going to support him or take care of him. It's just, it's just every place he goes is a danger to him. I mean, it certainly is, and certainly even if it's not, he certainly feels that it is. And when we, and I think that this is the great lesson of this particular verse, is that when we don't know which way to turn, we have to take comfort in the way, and that God knows our path. And so then we just have to trust Him and and reach out to Him. Uh, in, in many ways, I, I, I remember um, a, a fellow who used to work for me back before I was a believer. He was a Christian, but he was an artist, and he um, really felt like he should make his—he thought that God had gifted him as an artist, and he should be making his living as an artist. He wasn't making a living as an artist, and his family was really suffering, and he didn't know which way to turn. And 
Um, and I had offered him a job, and it wasn't a job that he wanted to take, but he ultimately did, because I said at some point in time, you just have to take a step yeah. and then walk it through. And, and later, as I, as I kind of learned about uh, the Holy Spirit a little bit more and about uh, my own faith and the way it was going, I realized that there's a reason why in Hebrew, ruach is both breath and spirit. Uh, you know, we and I often use this analogy that when we don't know where to go, it doesn't do us any good to sit in the harbor with our sails down. We're not going to mm-hmm. go anywhere then. We have to raise our sails and let the spirit lead us wherever it's going to lead us. And, um, and I think too many people are frozen in their troubles. They don't know which way to turn. And they never take a step of faith to be able to get out of where they are. Well, you know that's that's really interesting, and, and uh, maybe uh, it, it, we should actually like take a moment to connect a couple of possibilities here. You know about breath and spirit, because we we've seen this how in these uh, last several chapters of First Samuel, the stuff about the spirit is really big. How like the spirit would would uh, come upon Saul, or the language in Hebrew is kind of like, be be strong with Saul, right, um, in these different mm-hmm. moments, and, and, and Saul would, you know, then it, it proceed to, to speak bold words that seemed as if from God himself, or he would uh, you know, be, be strong and then prevail against the enemies of God, and so the Spirit would keep, you know, coming upon him in these powerful ways, but then we're told, well, the Spirit stops coming to him, and now yeah. it only, it, it seems to only go to David. And, of course, we, we see in big ways how it does. Um, it doesn't say it in the text, but clearly it did um, when he fought the Philistine, Goliath, um, and in a few other moments as well. But then here's Spirit in Psalm 142. And lest anyone think that, you know, the Spirit of God coming to you means that just every day you're just, like, just feeling like you're just full of the Spirit, right? It's interesting in verse 4, um, rather, I mean, so first, let's go back to verse 3 here. Where, where it says, um, yeah, my spirit faints within me. I mean, that's that's the word there, uh, breath, spirit. Um, and, then, and then in the very next line, this is an interesting moment here where it says, you know, look to the right and see, which you, you kind of wonder, like, what on earth does that even mean? And in fact, like the um, people who put together the Hebrew um, edition of the Bible, um, like, uh, it seems to suggest, like, maybe there's a different pointing there. I mean, it... it could even you know have something to do with this like spirit idea so i I don't know like what do you think is going on with his with his spirit or his breath in these verses i mean i I just i honestly i feel like david is so overwhelmed that he is even even he feels like he's been abandoned by god Uh, and sometimes we feel that way i mean you know, we know the Holy Spirit is in, we, are, we, we dwell with, you know, the Holy Spirit is indwelt in us. And yet there are times when, you know, we just feel abandoned by God, even. And we, and, and David, I think he feels that way, but he also knows he's not. Um, I mean, he says, no one cares for my soul, but, but, you know, in the end, he will come to the righteous will surround me and you will bountifully deal with me. I mean, so he, I mean, 
have we not all felt that God has abandoned us and is not caring for us anymore? Certainly. And, um, and yet we know, regardless of what our feelings tell us, we know that he is because the word testifies that to us. And David knows that he is. And I think this is really big then because, I mean, it's really easy for, for us as, as readers of the first several chapters of, of the, the Chronicle of David in First Samuel to just, it, it seems like everything that, you know, it's like he's Midas. <laughs> like everything he touches is gold. Yeah. Everything he does is perfect. Oh. It's like Joseph or something, right? Yeah. Um, right. But, you know, like Joseph, there's actually moments where he's in a well <laughs> or in a prison and he feels like he's been abandoned or forgotten, right? I mean, I mean that's actually how, I mean, I mean you, you, just, you hear it in Joseph's words, how he's discouraged and he asks, hey, hey if you, when you get out of here, say something about me and no one says anything about him. Um, and, and so I, I think in that respect, this is a—you uh, could see why this would be, I think, important for the people of God following the exile, because— Yeah, Well, just—I mean, just think I mean, about it, right? Because it's like it feels like the Davidic dynasty has failed, right? Um, like, well, well, there is no—you know, David's descendant is not on the throne right now. What on earth is going on? But but we're, we're brought to remember— that, hey, like, David kind of, like, just to kind of use this metaphorically, like, wasn't on the throne, like, every day, right? Like, like this, he wasn't right. feeling the spirit, like, every single day. He had low points, too. And so just because, yeah, there wasn't, like, someone on the throne there um, in Judah, you know, following the exile, just because they couldn't feel God in the same way uh, because of the circumstances, that doesn't— negate everything it doesn't that doesn't mean that like oh well there, i mean you know there is no god and this is the end of it it just means it's a low point but that doesn't mean that yeah. it's not something and, better around the corner i mean it's always reminds you know because that was the whole business with saul it's always good to remember that in fact human kings are not god's intention he is our king and he is never off the throne I would venture right. to guess that, and I, I certainly have no evidence of this, but I bet Psalm 142 was one of Daniel's favorite psalms. I mean, can yeah. you imagine how he felt yeah. being the only, the only one left in a in a foreign nation, in a throne room of pagan kings, and uh, having to be the one that stands? I mean, he he had the same experience. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's an awesome connection. Uh, can you imagine Daniel praying this right when he's in the lion's den, you know? Yeah, and he says, "You know, tend to my cry from brought very low, deliver me from my persecutors, right? You know, those who were plotting against him, uh, bring me out of prison, right? That I may give thanks to your name." Uh, yeah, I mean, like you can definitely see how Daniel and all the post-exilic people of God. Uh, this would just would have been really powerful for them as a way of saying, you know, hey, you know what? Like, we can't see any son of David here on the throne, but it doesn't mean that we still can't be connected to David and therefore the promises of God. And, and so I, I think then this is a powerful way for us to relate to this psalm that, you know, there are certain—maybe we don't feel like we're in a cave, though we're all under lockdown and we haven't, you know— been out to several places that we that we miss dearly right maybe we do feel like we're in a cave of sorts but you know maybe yeah. these moments like this where it's kind of like you know uh this kind of post-exile situation where it's you know we, we are like well we don't we don't see 
Jesus reigning on the throne, and, and we don't we don't feel the spirit, maybe like we thought we would, or maybe like we used to, that there's still a way where actually you look back to the suffering moments of the Messiah, and in that way you do feel him, and you, and you feel what he was going through, and you are connected to him in these low points too. And you know in the resurrection that there will be a time for you as well. Well, that's right. Well, I mean, and it brings you back to just that, you know, there really is a resurrection and there's a real need for a resurrection, you know, and it's uh, it's because of these low points. Right. Because if because if everything was just peachy. Right. We would just I mean, I mean, you'd say like, well, what's oh, what's the need for all this salvation from God? God and Exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, like so what, what resurrection? I mean, like life is just, you know, it couldn't get better. Uh, well, but then you have these these prison uh, bottom of a well cave moments, and yeah, it, it redirects our our eyes to that. So even though this psalm is like uh, very much at the bottom here, it, it it's still you can you can hear it very faintly there at the end, right? Bring me out yep. of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me. What do you think about that that little line right there? The righteous will surround me. I mean, that's David's confidence in the promise of God, even in the circumstances he finds himself in. There's no one on my right, no one on left, no one's caring for me, but I know the righteous will surround me. And it's, if it's not in this life, it certainly will be in the life to come. Well, and, and that's it's just beautiful, too, that confidence, right, that, like, right now his enemies are surrounding him when he's hiding in the caves— but but he knows that he's yep. like the friends and the allies are going to too and uh, yeah even if it's not in this life, in, in the life to come so that that confidence that we will be brought together again we will not stay alone forever we will not be in the cave forever right I mean that's that's the connection you see in in David and then Lord Jesus so thank you so much yep. brother it was yep. so great to be able to talk to you again. Um, and I yeah, hope that everything goes fun. well with procuring the new technology. Uh, God bless. Right. Everybody, that was Pastor Kevin Barvee's congregation of Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri, there in Dogtown. Okay, we're going back into 1 Samuel. Going to take a look at chapter 25. Till then, I'm Pastor H.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word. Produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at KFUO.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.